From What Goes On Media, this is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. And I'm your host, Emma Goldswell. This episode, Alex Woolhouse will be telling her story. She's a trans woman who co-hosts a podcast made by Mermaids. They're the charity helping gender-diverse kids and their families. It's called the She Said, They Said podcast. Alex went right back and started telling me all about her childhood. Looking back, there was, there was a, sort of a lot of different different clues, I guess, as to the fact that I actually was a woman and was a little girl at the time. And I think when I actually realised and, and came out and said, you know, actually, I'm a trans woman, it was like, oh, now it makes sense. Like all of those things, all of those different experiences all clicked into place. So. I remember thinking, you know, when everyone was saying, oh, what are you going to be when you grow up? I remember thinking, well, I'm going to be a girl. I'm going to be a woman. <laughs> so it wasn't in terms of a job that you wanted. It was, this is what I want to look like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, I want to be a pop star and a girl pop star at that. Like, I wanted to be Britney. So <laughs> I was going to say anyone in particular. <laughs> yeah, definitely Britney. Britney, but without the conservatorship, maybe. I, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, and so, yeah, there was just loads of different things. Like, I, I went to a, an all-boys school from the age of seven, but there were gendered uniforms at my sort of nursery. So from the age of, like, three or four. And my mum would say that I would come home from school and I'd take off my uniform and I'd put on a princess dress or something. And she said that she could see me like physically relax when I did that. So how come there were princess dresses? Was that something that you'd ask your mum to buy or have you got sisters? Or Yeah, yeah. I I definitely asked for them and, you know, wanted to dress up. And at nursery, I was I went to a very nice nursery. And so I just could dress up and, and do exactly wear exactly what I wanted and sort of play with the other girls and have that, you know, the sort of classic liking girls things I definitely had that and you know wanted to play princess and wanted to do all those things and didn't want to play football in the playground with boys there were princess dresses at home and I had a younger sister but that was sort of when I she was born when I was four so you know by that point I remember I was I visited the hospital dressed as Mulan Brilliant. Yeah, great, cho- great choice of Disney star, I have to say. Absolutely. And, and very prescient because obviously Mulan was a cross-dresser as well. <laughs> I haven't thought about that, yeah. I know, I know. So your mum sounds like she was uh, pretty tolerant then. I mean, not, not all parents would go out and buy exactly what clothing children want. Some some kick up a bit of a fuss and are worried about it, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm very lucky with how my parents are and have been throughout my life um, and, you know, super supportive of what I wanted to do. And, 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 you know, that's been, that's been pretty across the board, really. I don't think that when I was really young, they would have envisaged, oh, that Alex is actually a girl. I think they probably thought that I was a gay child, a gay boy. I don't think they thought of me as a trans person simply because it just wasn't as much of a thing that was talked about as it is nowadays i think now if i'd exhibit the behaviors that i was exhibiting at the time 
that they'd probably think, oh yeah, this is probably a trans child that, that, that we're dealing with. But I think at the time they just saw me as, you know, a little gay boy that just wanted to do these girly things. Yeah, well, without aging you then, would this have been um, the 90s, I'm guessing, would it? Yeah, so 1996, yeah. I'm 25 now. Yeah. So from a very young age then, so nursery school, you're talking like under five, are you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But then I guess when I went to boys school and I went to particularly senior school I think I just had it in my head oh that's not something that boys do anymore and it was this sort of childish thing and then you put away your childish things I didn't conform but I I definitely didn't identify as a girl at the time I didn't I didn't use those words I didn't at at all so you were reining it in, as it were, but you was that because you heard negative things in the playground or people were saying stuff to you or you just got a sense that it wouldn't be tolerated? I think it was a kind of innate thing that I knew that, well, I knew incorrectly that that's not something that boys do. And I, I knew that I was a boy um, because I'd been told that I was a boy and you know by everyone in my life and I was going to an all-boys school and and so yeah there was sort of no question about that and then it just wasn't something that boys did that where they put on dresses or enjoyed Lizzie McGuire or That's So Raven on the Disney Channel and, and things like that in the same way so yeah I did kind of put those childish things away for a bit. And did that feel really uncomfortable to you did that feel awful to you to have to wear that boy's uniform and I, d- I think I think in hindsight it, it did but what felt more awful was just being different from everyone else that was more of it what it was it wasn't the fact that you know I had to wear a boy's uniform or I was just with the boys it was just more that I wasn't I don't think I was liked and accepted in the way that I now am and that I would have wanted to be I what you know all of the boys at school you were you were popular you were liked if you played rugby or if you played football and 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 if you really conformed to this idea of masculinity that was sort of very rigid and simply because I didn't speak like that I didn't you know I had a very feminine feminine voice and I you know went to theatre school and um, I read in the playground at lunch and I chatted with you know the other boys that, that wanted to chat at the time and because of all that I wasn't accepted in the way that yeah I would want to be accepted I guess. Did they bully you then? Yeah I was I was bullied definitely from you know the age of seven I remember no. you know, saying you're gay you're a girl you're girly until I left school like honestly I would have pe- I would have boys coming up to me um who were 11 when I was 18 and they'd come up to me and they'd go are you gay are you gay and in such a sort of rude and accusatory manner I guess and the answer was at the time yeah I am gay like you know go away little child um yeah. but 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 yeah I think I I was kind of treated differently throughout my schooling because of that not you know because of I guess identifying as gay and being out as gay but also more than that being very feminine and being very uh you know yeah being femme that was I think that was a lot of the the source of it. Did you ever report any of the bullying did anyone ever try and stop it for you? 
Um, yeah, I, I, I was very vocal at, at school. I, I, I was very sort of uh, very good at standing up for myself. And, you know, if it were to happen in, in lessons, I would say, you know, I would, I would say to the teacher, come on, you, you can hear this, you can hear what's going on, what they're saying to me. Are you going to do anything about it? And I don't think they knew particularly how to or felt, you know, confident enough to and yeah, it was it was very strange. I I, I kind of wish I, I had flagged it more when I was going through school, but it was just kind of something that I dealt with and was so normalized as part of my school experience. Which is awful that it that it's it, awful, it, yeah. Saying that is terrible that you just sort of put up with it and you just you know, oh that's normal, you know, someone's know. calling me an awful thing again and being derogatory to me and I know. And and any time I, I, you know, flag this to my parents it was obviously something they took extremely seriously and they would go into school and and there'd be these conversations but nothing would change long term so it was something that I stopped I guess flagging to my parents and just sort of dealt with ignored I found friendship and I found love in in different places and yeah I didn't have that sort of mainstream acceptance in the sixth form common room but I'd go over to the girls' school on lunchtime and 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 I'd, you know, be in the girls' common room and, uh, you know, and, and, they and all my you. friends there. Yeah, they accepted me. And that was where my sort of acceptance was and where I felt comfortable. So, yeah. So was there a sense that you always knew that you were trans meant to be a woman? Or was there this, you know, you talked about the early stage when you were a child at nursery. Was it just something that you always knew? Or was there a bit of a realisation a bit a bit later when you were a bit of an older child? I think looking back, I can see, yeah, okay, I obviously knew innately that I was a girl throughout all these different experiences, but I didn't have the language or the knowledge to articulate those things. And so the realisation of, oh, you need to come out, that came later. So when I was at university, I think the first time I, I articulated some serious questioning about my gender was in my in the sort of after exams of my first year I went to Durham and I was in a Midsummer Night's Dream and I played and I played the wall um in a Midsummer Night's Dream but as part of that it was kind of odd because I had to wear something that was kind of masculine and you know at the time I was very sort of feminine presenting so I was wearing very skinny jeans I would wear um concealer and I would wear bronzer and you know sort of minimal natural makeup mm. but when I was in this play I I was playing a, a mechanical you know a, a worker but I I was very aware oh I'm playing a man right now this is a male part and I remember saying to my friend you know this feels really weird and I, I spoke to her over Skype and she's you know still my best friend now and hmm. um, and I actually have a podcast with her the morning after the night before she's my best friend Zoe and I remember saying to her you know this feels really strange. I really don't think I am a man. And it was at this was sort of 2014, 2015. So you're really having to use a lot of acting skills in that role then, weren't you? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I want snout by name doth present gender dysphoria. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely. And and she sort of said, you know, oh, maybe you're you're gender queer. And and for a while that that term was okay. And that term was enough because I always knew that I was, yeah, so feminine and and um, 
that allowed me to explore those feminine sides of myself and gave me a language to say, right, that's why I'm having this thought process. And in my, I think it was my second or third year, I got invited to a drag themed uh, birthday party. And so I wore full drag for the first time. I had a wig and wore full makeup and I felt so beautiful and it felt, I felt so powerful. And it didn't feel like drag probably. No, it didn't. It didn't. Mm. And I went out, you know, to a club and no one knew I was in drag. Everyone just thought I was a girl and that felt so amazing. And from then on, I was kind of chasing that but trying to ignore what that actually meant, which was that I was actually a girl. So that's quite a lot of years, isn't it, really, then, for it to for the penny to finally drop, you know, from having those experiences as a child and being happier wearing your dresses to actually then being happy wearing your dresses as an adult. And, you know, there's a good 20 years there almost, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there was. And it only sort of became a sort of vital need to transition because I, after I graduated, I went to law school and I went, was going to be a commercial solicitor and I, I would end up going as a commercial solicitor. But I had gone from being in these environments where I could just be Alex and I could just be this very feminine version of myself. And that was fine. But I had it in my head that when I went to become a lawyer and I went to start working in an office in that sort of really classic male environment and having to wear a suit and having to be Mr. Woolhouse, that that was something that I just couldn't do and that I was Mm. really stressed about. And so when I moved to London and I went to law school, I went into this sort of period of, of real reflection and thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, something is really wrong here. I can't do this. I cannot go into this environment. I cannot be an adult wearing a suit. I cannot be, you know, even even a, a, the, the thought of being a father or getting married as a man and wearing a suit at the wedding, it just all felt so wrong and scary. And also it felt really real because it was like, oh, I'm going into adulthood right now. And... I'm going to have to do those things and I, I just can't. But you couldn't see a future where you could be as glamorous and beautiful as you are now and be a female solicitor. I couldn't. I, could, I couldn't uh. at the time when the penny did finally drop and it was like, oh, I'm a trans woman. Then I saw that future and that future was so calming to think mm. I can wear a white dress at my wedding. I can be called mummy. <laughs> and that was such a, a relief. It was like an ah. Uh, oh my gosh, thank God, thank God that I can do all those things now. And that that future was open to me because of this realisation, oh, you're actually a trans woman. And how old were you then? I was 21. I was so 21. 21, yeah. So what did yeah. you like, sit on that information for a while? Or did you tell, talk to your best friend again? I, I talked to my friends, definitely, and, and sort of came out really sort of gradually. And I started getting my nails done I started growing my hair and it was and wearing more makeup and and things like that it felt really really gradual I think the moment where the penny fully dropped for me was I was reading a tweet of 
Sean Fays, who obviously has just released the transgender issue and is, you know, a massive inspiration of mine now. But I read one of her tweets that said something like, you know, people always ask me, you know, how do you know what it feels like to be a woman? And she said, I don't know, but I know how it feels to be a trans woman. And that really resonated with me. And it was like, okay, I can do this. I can be a version of womanhood that is what reflects is going on inside my head. Then I was, you know, telling my friends, I was like, I think I'm going to transition. I'm a woman. And they were all like, yeah, we know. Obviously you are. Obviously we are because they'd picked up on all of these experiences that they'd had with me, that they'd never thought of me as a gay man, that I was always one of the girls, mm. um, which was lovely and, and so affirming to, to, to sort of experience. Was there ever a stage where you did go, oh, okay, I'll come out as a gay man then? I mean, were, were you attracted to men? Is that what made you think maybe I am a gay man? Yeah, I think I was out as a gay man, particularly with my, my friends, from the age of like, you know, 13, 12, 13. I think the reason why I didn't come out as a girl for so long was because who I was attracted to, like when you're at school and and going through puberty, who you fancy was more interesting at the time. It was more of a a thing that (laughs) was a brain drain. It was like, oh God, you know, does this boy fancy me? Does, you know, do I have a crush on this person? That was more of a brain drain at the time. But my body and the sort of the changes that I was going through and how I was interacting with these men, that took a back step. And it was more the, you know, oh, who you're attracted to. That was that was more of a prescient issue. And so, yeah, I think that was why I didn't come out for ages. But I was out at uni, you know, as, I guess, a gay man. Mm-hmm. And now I identify as a straight woman, which is very... Mm. Um, way more boring, I think. Yeah, you're straight now. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so funny because I'm in so many queer spaces and, and there are so many people that talk about, you know, the, the boring straight person. And I kind of am that boring straight person now. Like, it's honestly so dull. Like, I have to date straight guys now and talk about cricket on a first day. And it's just like, oh, God. Is that what you have to do? Oh, that sounds tedious. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really, really tedious. Oh, brilliant. So did you actually come out to your parents? parents as gay then at any point I don't think I did particularly I never said like oh mum dad I'm gay I just kind of spoke about boys I think and being like oh god he's gorgeous you know see a guy on the telly and be like oh he's fit and oh I you know went on a date with um Archie and you know blah 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 it was it was there wasn't that sort of coming out with them as gay I didn't really feel the need to but I did feel the need to tell them that I was trans mm. um, and that I was questioning my gender because I just felt like it was more, it was going to be more visible simply. And it was just going to be something that I kind of needed their support with and, and needed their help with. When I was at law school and had this realisation that, oh, I needed to transition, I was quite upset about that, I think, at the time. And I ended up failing one of my exams one of my law exams. And so I moved home for four months before I could go back and resit that exam. And I did end up passing it eventually. Um, but I moved home. And when I moved home, I felt like I owed them an explanation of why and, and why I needed to move home and, and why part of the reason why I'd failed. And I said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about my gender. And they completely took that in their stride. And I think that also answered a lot of questions for them 
about my upbringing. Did you sort of sit them down then and have a conversation with them both, you know, together? Yeah, yeah. I had a, I started talking to my mum when we were just driving somewhere. We were driving home together and I had a conversation with my mum about it. And then we got out of the car and she said, just, you know, just go talk to your dad about it. Just go tell your dad. And then, yeah, we just sat in the, the study downstairs and, and just spoke about that for an hour or so. And I didn't really have a, an answer at that point. I didn't really have a, oh, I'm a trans woman and I'm going to transition. It was more, I think I'm a girl. I don't know what I'm going to do with that information. And it was only the August next year after I passed law school, I was just about to start you know, going into the office and I said, I can't do this. I'm going to have to go as a girl. And I made the decision. It was literally two weeks before starting work. So this is your first job after law school then, yeah? First job after law school. Started my training contract at a top five law firm in wow. the city. It was. Wow. I was so pleased with myself. But yeah, there was just this whole other thing that was going on at the time. And yeah, I literally got home, got moved back to London, went to office, bought a pair of heels and went to work as a woman. And I wasn't even living full time as a girl at the time. But from that point, it was just, yeah, right, this is what it is. And I haven't looked back. I mean, that's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Because presumably they gave you the job and you'd gone for the initial interview dressed as a male, had you? Or, and yeah. you literally just rocked up on your first day in your heels. Yeah, I gave them a bit of warning. I gave them like two weeks warning. I said, you know, oh, I'm not going to be Alexander. I'm going to be Alex and I'm going to be Ms. I'm not going to be Mr. And they were really supportive, actually. It was, you know, I was actually in a really quite a good environment for it. I always say like, you know, being in law is the kind of the best and worst place to transition because although you're there with a lot of conservative old boys school attitudes, yeah. you're also there with a lot of very educated people mm. and you're also there with a high level of income. So I was able, because I was you know earning the big bucks, I was able to transition privately, medically and cosmetically under my own steam I didn't have to wait on these horrific waiting lists on the NHS that we see I was very fortunate that I could just go to Harley Street and, and get sorted and that's got to be a dear do though right isn't it because I think most people that I speak to probably do go down the NHS route and they are waiting for years just to have a conversation with a medical professional let alone yeah. get any sort of hormones or treatment yeah and I, I was able to access those things over the sort of two year period of, of my training contract. And after I, you know, finished, I, I, I started getting help from my parents and, and that was, you know, really amazing for them to be able to help me, me with that. But yeah, th those sort of initial starting on hormones, starting facial feminization procedures, having laser hair removal, that was all stuff that I could do privately. And I was so fortunate to be able to do that. Mm. And it just made everything so much easier because it meant that I could live as a, a woman and pass and either being clocked as a trans woman all the time or being misgendered all the time. And mm. that really was exhausting. And so that period was quite short for me, which I'm very lucky to do. And I guess that's difficult in a working environment. I mean, did you get misgendered by clients sometimes or other colleagues? 
yeah i got i got misgendered by colleagues and there was there was one client where i i I was at a meeting with them someone said to me oh gosh you've got a nasty cold haven't you i think in reference to my voice being lower Mm. and i was like oh i was like oh no yeah yeah i do yeah i guess i do um and in my head, I was like, no, I just, you know, I'm actually trans, but I didn't say that. And yeah, it was it was funny being misgendered and, and being in a really stressful environment, I guess, and, and then having to deal with that and on email and getting an email and just thinking, why have they just said he? Oh, what gave <sighs> me away? And at that, that kind of very early stage of your transition, you're very like, oh, something's wrong with me because someone has you know seen me as male or they've used he and stuff and you know it takes a lot of kind of mental strength to be like actually that isn't anything to do with me that's just on them and you know it doesn't affect my womanhood absolutely and he's still a solicitor he's still working in the in that industry kind of i um work for a charity now i'm a lawyer for a charity and uh yeah so i'm still doing in the legal sector but i'm not a practicing solicitor in the yeah. same way definitely yeah. not you mentioned a, a younger sister earlier did you come out to her as well then or any other siblings yeah i've i've got um a younger brother and a younger sister and after i had that conversation with my parents in the study i went upstairs and i went to my sister i, I just went oh i've just told mommy and daddy i'm i'm a girl and she wasn't like oh are you a girl she was like oh what did they say she just completely <laughs> accepted that and and I think I have lived through my sister Anna a lot throughout her sort of teenage years and there was a time when I got her ready for her sort of sick form leavers ball and she knew she said I know that I'm doing this for us I know that I wasn't just doing her makeup that it was like I was doing my makeup for it and Mm. you know I wasn't just picking her dress I was picking (laughs) our dress and and it was so lovely that she could give me that that sort of gift, that experience. I just felt like I was, yeah, living it through her, which was just lovely. And I just have a really special bond with my siblings. And, and you know, they've both been absolutely amazing throughout all of this. And, you know, I think for them, they always saw me as their older sister. And I've always felt, I always fulfilled that role. And so being able to use that language of sister is easier for them as well. Oh, fabulous. Well, it sounds like your siblings and your parents have been, you know, trademark, uh, like, brilliant, really, haven't they? That, yeah. Honestly, no complaints, no complaints. Yeah. And you've obviously made a very conscious decision to be out as a trans woman because you could be very, you know, easily just, you know, pass as woman and just not talk about it and just not raise your head above the parapet and declare yourself as trans, but you've made that decision. How come? Yeah, I... I did live as stealth for for about a year, I think, mm. where it was just not really something that I spoke about when I was dating or or publicly at, at all. And I, yeah, I made a, a decision quite recently because I, I've been doing a lot more sort of media things. You know, I did the She Said, They Said podcast. I And that was with the Mermaids, wasn't it? With Mermaids, yeah. Yeah, which is great. I mean, they're a fantastic organisation. Yeah, yeah. Network, aren't they? They really definitely, are. Definitely. So they wanted, they approached you, did they, to do, to do a podcast? To talk yeah, about they, they asked me to, yeah, they asked me to, to audition for it. And, and yeah, I got it. And, you know, 
have presented that with the lovely Shivani Darve, who I know you know as well. Yeah, Shivani. Um, yes. I love Shivani. It's a small radio world, so we all, we all know each other. <laughs> it is, definitely. But, um, but yeah, I had to think, you know, oh, I'm going to effectively out myself in perpetuity. You know, I've just, I've just filmed this documentary for Channel 4 as well. And I'm going to, you know, be out. That can be seen by anyone. And, you know, is that something that I really want to do? And I came to the decision that, yes, it's not something I'm ashamed of being trans. It's not something that I want to be a secret. I don't want to be in the closet. I don't want it to ever be something that is held against me that, you know, I, I really, I, I want my media career to grow. Absolutely. And I never want it to be something that is, can be revealed by the press or, you know, can be splashed across a headline. I want it to be something that I'm proud of that is part of my story and is part of the reason why I am the interesting woman that you see today. Oh, Interesting and glamorous, but I mean, and I, I guess that, that another reason I'm, I'm sure is that there is so much to fight for, you know, for trans and non-binary people in the UK, let alone elsewhere in the world at the moment, it is tough. There is so much bigotry and transphobia out there, isn't there? Definitely. And I want to be a part of the change, I guess that I'm seeing in the media. Because I think when I was coming out sort of five, six years ago, everything in the media about trans voices was about the sort of transitioning process. And that was the, the major focus. And now I want to be part of the change where trans people talk about their actual lives, mm. about the things that they are interested in, the things that they do, rather than the simple process of transitioning. I think everything's been said about that. I don't think there's anything more to say um, about hormones or surgery and or, or that sort of fascination. I want to be able to talk about, you know, dating and life and my family and my friends and the things that I'm interested in, me as a person, rather than me as a transitioning person. Well, you mentioned it. I'm going to have to ask you about dating now. Are you, are you, do, are you currently courting? <laughs> I'm either, oh my God, I'm always courting. I, I say I'm I'm like Bridget Jones, Fleabag and Carrie Bradshaw that make it trans. <laughs> oh, we need this TV show, don't we? We really Oh, we do. We do. Absolutely. I'm trying. I'm trying at the moment. But yeah, no, I've, I, I date a lot and I really enjoy it. It's a really sort of fun experience for me. And I often think, you know, if 13-year-old me could see 25 year old me she'd be absolutely gassed that she gets to go on dates with six foot four blonde hunks Oof. that fancy you and that are interested in talking to you and, and what you've got to say i just love it that is fantastic i love it you are just loving life and that's that's, that's so good to get you on because you're just you are just you're smashing life you're loving life and we need more of it and we need this tv show if we could get that commissioned i'm thinking Definitely. channel four but i mean maybe other people would be interested i don't know i'm in talks i'm in talks with with a couple of different um television production companies oh, so, you are? yeah 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 uh, so i'm excited you'll see my name in lights i'm sure oh, i'm sure we will um so i can't let you go without a little bit of advice though for other people that might be listening that um haven't had it as easy because by the sounds of it you have had it relatively easy in terms of your family in terms of having the wealth to be able to go and transition Definitely. fairly quickly you know but what would you say to people that haven't got a supportive family or haven't got 
got the funds to go through. And they're really struggling with coming to terms with their gender identity. I think knowing who you are and accepting yourself is something that makes you untouchable to external pressures, be that family, be that the inability to transition medically or, or cosmetically um, because of access to, to finances. I think knowing who you are and having a really strong sense of self is one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself. And so knowing that, knowing that you are a woman inside you, whatever you look like, whatever anyone calls you, is something really powerful and really strong because no one can take that away. Mm. Um, so yeah, if you can find that, if you can find that strength, that knowledge that you are who you think you are, you're untouchable. And there's so much more support out there now, isn't there? And we've already talked about mermaids. I mean, presumably anyone can go and listen to your podcast at any time. It's still going to be there, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think She Said, They Said is on all streaming platforms and it is a really great resource to listen to other trans, gender diverse and non-binary voices talking about their lives, not debating their existence, but just sharing their experiences. And I think that's so needed right now. It really is. Gosh. I mean, the power of the podcast is quite incredible, isn't it, really? You know, Absolutely. I've been doing this one for three and a half years now, and it never ceases to amaze me just how relevant and how important it still is and how much useful information and how much help people get from it. Just the simple act of listening to a podcast, it can be so important for people, can't it? It can, because someone else who you've never met can articulate a thought that you thought only you had <laughs> and that creates such a connection and it's just so amazing i got it i was watching feel good on netflix um a couple of weeks ago and may martin said something that resonated with me and i thought i didn't think that anyone else had ever felt like that in the history of the world <laughs> and this person who i've never ever seen in my life who will never see me has just said exactly what i thought and that's so, so powerful. And podcasts can do that. Writing can do that. It's so, so amazing how powerful stories are. Big thank you to Alex for sharing her story. I am so looking forward to the trans flea bag forward slash sex in the city TV series. <laughs> uh, brilliant. We'll be keeping you posted, of course. Um, and if you do want to follow Alex on all the socials, she is at Alex Woolley. By the way, if you are listening when this episode's just come out, please be aware that uh, Trans Day of Remembrance is coming up. It's really important to remember that not everyone has a supportive family or a relatively easy transition, as Alex made hers seem. November the 20th is a time to remember all those trans and non-binary people that we have tragically lost in the last year because of murder or suicide. Now, if you live in the US or the UK, you may be able to find an event to go to. If not, maybe just acknowledge it on social media and show your support. And if you're a young person struggling with your gender identity and not getting the support that you need, please do check out the charity Mermaids. Their website is mermaidsuk.org.uk. And if you go there, you'll also find Alex and Shivane's podcast as well. Right, next episode, we're off stateside to the Bronx to meet Marie. She got married and had five kids and didn't come out as gay until she was in her 50s. And she told me that coming out to her children was tough. It's very difficult to tell your children 
And even today, my children say, mommy, you're not gay. You know, they say, mommy, you are the straightest gay person that I know. (laughs) Or you're the gayest straight person that I know. (laughs) 